Welcome to Call That Girl's Office 365 Show. Keep up with Lisa's day-to-day problems and solutions she encounters with Outlook, third-party apps, and Office 365. The learning never ends, folks. Learn from Lisa. You are listening to Call That Girl's Office 365 Show. I'm Lisa Hendrickson, your hostess, and this is show number 38. Just a reminder, you can find all my shows and notes at callthatgirl.biz slash office365 or at callthatgirl.podbean.com. You can also subscribe to my YouTube channel, and uh, that is youtube.com slash callthatgirl. Now, this show is about Microsoft Outlook and Office 365, Microsoft Exchange migrations, and other technically entertaining stories I can share from my past week or so. Please remember, if you need help learning Office 365, I am available for hire by the hour or project, and as well, I do give tech discounts for Outlook and migration help. You can email me, lisa at callthatgirl.biz. And before we get going, I always have to announce my sponsor, AppRiver, and they are email and web security specialists. They offer phenomenal Office 365 sales and support. They've been my preferred vendor for all of my clients for three years now, and I'm thrilled to have them as a sponsor. If you have listened to my past shows, you've probably heard me speak about them often. And this show, you're definitely going to hear about them. Today. <laughs> this was a, a, a total App River uh, necessary needed week. Um, but if you'd like to talk to my sales rep, you can contact him at Steve Harris, excuse me, Steve Harris at sharris at AppRiver.com. And I got to tell you folks, the reason why I love using a vendor, and this is the personal testimony, testimonial for them is I love having backup that's reliable for me. This week, I had really a lot of struggles with some Outlook stuff that I'm going to cover in this show. And when I can call them and just get instant phone tech support, no waiting, no. And plus, they know me at this point, too. So it's nice. So when I call and I say, hey, it's Lisa from Call That Girl, half the techs already know me. That's the personal relationship I like. You know, I'm not dealing with a thousand people at a call center. I'm dealing with a handful of skilled technicians that actually know what's going on with the products that we're using. And they have the, um, you know, more knowledge than I do sometimes because their volume is a lot different than I'm taking. And so I did, uh, this week had to make a few calls to them and it was so much, just, just so awesome to have them as my backup and, uh, to help me because not everything I do is, uh, is a win-win with this outlook these days. And that's what we're going to talk about in this show. Later on, I have Rob, uh, my migration manager, Rob from Soho tech. And, um, he's been, uh, he owns his own business of course, but he helps me with migration work on the side and we're going to, um, going to have him on as the guest. I just had him a few shows ago, but it's, it's good knowledge to share the the migration manager work he's doing for me, and we had some other challenges with this migration that uh, I thought you'd all like to learn from. But before we get rolling here, I was on the MSP radio show. If you're interested in checking out that podcast, it's um, hosted and produced by Continuum, and they uh, do managed services for managed service companies. So you can utilize their products. And, uh, I know a lot of techs are talking about them lately, so that's something you might want to check out, but I'll put the links to my show that I was on. And we talked about computer niche work, which is more like what I'm doing. And some of the things I did to, uh, niche out, I guess, to make this all happen. But if you're already my listener, you've heard all of that probably anyway, but Hey, go check out the show anyway. It's, uh, it was fun talking to those guys. I, I really enjoyed it. So Monday, I thought it was like the beginning of the new year. 25 calls, requests, emails from all new client jobs. And this happened to me on New Year's Day. And uh, it's happened again. And it's, you know, at the end of the day, I was like wiped out. I was like, what even happened today? Have you ever had those days where you're just so busy that you literally brain farted your whole day and you're, you don't even know what even happened? So I was uh, trying to create a, uh, what I would call sales tracking list. Cause I kind of wanted to see where, uh, my sales funnel, I'm starting to use this word a little bit more, you know, how my sales funnel is going to work. And Monday I gauged it because I had so many, uh, calls in that I realized on Tuesday 
I had the 25 on Monday. I booked a lot of those appointments. On Tuesday, I started seeing, okay, I got to start following up with these people. And uh, Tuesday was a lot of work because I had the Monday appointments, the Tuesday appointments, and I had cleared out the most of those jobs. Then on Wednesday, ugh, bad updates came out. And I, I, you know what? When you're at noon and you know that there's a problem, I had five calls in before noon with people having the same problem. Uh, exchange was not connecting. And you know how it is when you first get your first call, you're like, nah, it's just a normal tech support call, right? Then you get one like an hour later, it's the same problem. And I'm, I'm already in tune with this, and I'm like, uh-oh, this is not going to be good. Because look how many clients I have on exchange. Just a lot. I mean, few, you know, four or 500 at this point. And uh, I, I, I troubleshooted it. I did uh, have some folks call App River because, uh, you know, it, it. I don't rely on them for the tech support, but sometimes it's a server issue, so you, you don't know. But uh, the ones I did troubleshoot, it was not something App River wouldn't have been able to help with. But there was an update that came out that, that didn't cause Exchange to update. And it's still probably going to come out, so be prepared because – you know how updates go, you know, not everybody gets them on the first day because they didn't download it and install them. They, they sometimes could take days and weeks to finally kind of outgrow the update problem or how to figure out how to get fixed. And every person, unfortunately, kind of had a different glitch. And uh, it was it was battling. It was a battle. That's why I named this show. Well, sorry, <laughs> that was a different battle. But the title of this uh, show is Call That Girl Versus Microsoft Outlook 2016 because most of those people did have 2016 that had that problem. And it's hard to tell sometimes what the software is that's having it. Like two months ago, Outlook 2010 had definitely had two bad updates in a row, I think two or three weeks apart. We knew it was only 2010. Well, this one affects 2016. I do believe. So just keep that in mind. Uh, so, But anyway, back to my sales tracking is that on Wednesday, I had so many uh, difficulties with getting these fixed that I kind of forgot to track because then my brain was not in sales mode. It was more in troubleshooting mode. And I didn't really care anymore about those sales, but it got very frustrating. So I spent Wednesday and Thursday uh, doing regular appointments and fixing these people from Wednesday's updates. Then Friday... I cleared my calendar and I had a big 14 person migration. And when uh, Rob joins us later, we're going to talk about that project more in depth. But by Friday I was in, okay, I was out of sales mode. I was out of this window. <laughs> this exchange cannot connect mode. I was in migration mode. And then Saturday I thought I could breathe, but the migration was still going on. And I think now today is Sunday. It's Valentine's day. I'm like, now I actually feel like I could start the week with good starting over on the sales tracking. And I really want to do that because uh, I think it's important for me to know of those 25 calls, how many turned into leads. And, and, and one thing I did notice is that people, I think maybe it's because of the work I do, they will put in a request on the phone with my like service I have. I call them back and they don't see the phone number that they called so they don't pick up. Because, you know, like most businesses, we've got multiple phone lines. I'll leave them a message. They don't call me back. So my service gets the email, and I email them, and they don't email me back. Then sometimes people put appointments on my online scheduler. Not appointments, but contact requests. So I try calling them back. They don't answer. I try emailing them back. They don't answer. And sometimes a portion of them will email email me back a few days later and say, oh, yeah, I fixed it myself or I resolved it myself or whatever. And, and I'm learning that even if I had booked all 25 of those, I never would have been able to service everybody. I mean, considering, look what happened on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, the bad updates and then the migration. And sometimes I, sometimes I look back and go, okay, well, I'm happy I didn't book all those calls. I mean, if I had booked them, I would have had to have just a crazy end of week. And I was already exhausted by Friday night. And I'm only one person with so much time. So I look at uh, things like that as a hindsight, yay. But what if I had a team of people? Why aren't those people calling back? And you folks work in IT. 
And whether you work it for yourself and break fix, you work for someone else, you work in MSP, we all deal with sales and landing the clients and trying to figure out what we're doing right and wrong, you know, and hiring the right clients or having the, you know, not hiring them, but uh, bringing them on the onboarding and all the other stuff we have to do. And it, uh, sometimes challenging, I'm going to try to share next week though, more results that are, I think are better. But then I got three weird calls <laughs> this week and I, I just did mark these down because I was like, why are they calling me? And this is uh, actually uh, SEO working. I, I got a, a client that no, he's not a client, not at all, but he's, he called and said, uh, the, my, the malware bytes license is not working. I've talked to them. They won't help but I need to get the license. And I thought, well, maybe he was one of my past Malwarebytes clients, you know, from the past. And it turns out I call him and he told me his story for 20 minutes. He found me on Google searching Malwarebytes and something else. He thought I worked for Malwarebytes. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, you're not even in my client database. You're not in any of my lists, nothing. And I, and I told him, you know what, if you email their support, they will get back to you. Uh, I don't know if he was emailing the wrong support or maybe some scam site or something. I don't, I mean, who would know where, where he bought it, you know, but I did tell them that Malwarebytes does have good email support and that he can email them and they'll take care of them. <laughs> and I, uh, I have to laugh because I, I generally, you know, he actually called in and left a message for my service and I thought, man, they must think I, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> the message they left was just kind of awkward. But then I got another one from somebody who found my Microsoft scam blog post I put out there. And he called me and said, well, look, I got scam. I, I, I tried to call Microsoft and uh, blah, blah, blah. I, f I found you online. And can you help? And I said, well, not really, you know, and he said, well, it says here you can. And I'm like, well, you know, I think he wanted more like Microsoft directly. And I said, sir, I don't work for Microsoft. And he thought I did. And so the thing is you have to do is, uh, you know, excuse me. Um, he thought I worked for Microsoft and he would get free support. And that happens sometimes when, when you're doing marketing online is you have to be really clear with people. no. I don't work for Microsoft and I couldn't have helped with that scam no matter what. You know, he got scammed, but I did say, you know, try calling your bank. You know, that, that might be helpful. Start there. But I feel bad because that was another 15-minute call of listening to that fella tell his story and for me not to be able to do anything at all. And uh, that's just what you get when you start putting your, your information out there on the Internet. And especially with the large scale, I'm trying. Those calls are going to come. And finally, I got another one from a lady that said she was uh, locked out of her Gmail account. And, you know, she did leave her email and it did say at gmail.com. Well, already, uh, you know, I've done this in the past. I've helped people with Gmail. It's really never a good success story with trying to get them in back into their accounts. They never remember the information. It just kind of is just a lot of work. And, uh, you know, it's a free Gmail account, and I know it's their real email account, but if they're locked out, uh, you know, there's not much I can do if they don't remember their answers, you know. Now, Google Apps, man, maybe, you know, that's a little different because that's a paid-for account, and you get more, more with that. But she actually told me that she ended up finding the password on – or not – no, she didn't find the password. She – had Gmail installed in Outlook on another computer where she found it was working and she could do a password reset. And I said, thank goodness. <laughs> yeah, she was really thankful that she had that set up as a backup. And I was happy for her too because I didn't know what to say. I'm like, ah, I can't help, you know. I, I, I wish I could, but I just can't. But in terms of other appointments this week that I booked, a coincident happens sometimes in my world. I've had three users that upgraded to Outlook 2016, and strangely enough, all three of them had categories. And if you don't work with categories much in Outlook, I'll kind of give you a heads up about it. 
All the categories are meant to keep your list of contacts in order. And there was ways to email those categories in 2010 and 2007. And that's where a lot of these people go back from the old school, you know, the old way of doing stuff. But with 2016, some things have changed and it's not working like it was or whatever the case is. Um, I've never really said I was a categories expert, but I've been doing categories work for so long. I'm getting kind of used to it. And all three of these people, what they want to do now, and, and I showed them how to do this, and this was about a two-hour job for most of these people, is we moved their categories to uh, the, a list instead. So basically under Outlook Contacts, you create a new folder. I call that a list. I don't know what they call it, but it's a folder. Then you take the categories and you can copy them and put that in the list. Then that list, you can email it and make a distribution group. So you can email the list or you can export it out and put it into email marketing. And I think that this is kind of the new you know, way it's going to be. Unfortunately, the clients are experiencing, why doesn't Outlook do this? Why doesn't Outlook do that? And I said, well, I can't you know, get into the deep programming level of Outlook to make it do what you want. So we're only going to do what the program will allow us to do. <laughs> but, but I did a pretty good job at getting what they needed. I, I found that if you took the main list of contacts, and let's say there's 5,000 in there, and you took a category group of uh, 17 people, moved it to a folder, unfortunately, there's no syncing of the updates. So if you've got the 5,000 people in the contacts list and you update uh, a contact, it does not go to the list. So you're never going to have a perfect database, unfortunately. But I did train people to either do update one or the other. And I said, that's your choice. If you want to use this option, the unfortunate part is I helped the client in two sessions do this. And at the very, very, very end, we uh, realized you could, that the editing didn't sync. And she wasn't mad at me. She was just really kind of upset. And I said, you know, unfortunately, I didn't even know this, you know, was going to happen. I mean, and she's like, well, I hired you as an Outlook expert. And I said, I understand. But sometimes software doesn't work as we want. And I did not know that that was not going to do that. I mean, it's I did tell her it's a, a kind of a new feature in Outlook 2016 that we can do all this stuff. And it's not really new. It's just new for people to use it because they're telling me more what they want to do about it. Either way, sometimes we have software challenges and programs aren't going to let us do everything. And that's one thing Outlook kind of put the their foot down and said we can't have the editing synchronized. So anyway, I think it was kind of odd, though, that I had three calls this week. And that those I took care of on Monday and Tuesday before it got slamming busy. And I thought that was funny. That's, normally I don't get three things like that in a row. All right, so let's see what I have next. Um, then, like I said, I got the, the many calls with Outlook not connecting. I'm going to talk about that here in a minute. And um, one of the bigger things I want to talk about is Outlook 2016 and the battles that I'm experiencing. Now, Outlook 2016, if you have managed services, and let's say you've got all your clients on one platform and you've kind of managed all of their computers for a long time, you know, for you to do a total upgrade, you know, you're going to make sure all the bells and whistles are all figured out before you upgrade your whole entire enterprise, right? Well, unfortunately for the break fix technicians, we're coming into it cold. And this is for any software when a break fix text comes in. We don't know the history of the computer what it's had and, and the problems it's had. And um, a few of the calls I dealt with this week is these issues is that if you're on windows 10, that was upgraded from windows eight or windows seven. <laughs> okay. See where I'm going here. We don't know if that computer's fresh or been upgraded. You know, if they bought it off the shelf or it's been through two upgrades, it could have had seven and eight on it. I mean, I don't know. I don't know operating systems that that well in that level, but I do know that if they had, to, let's say, uh, 
Windows 7 on it. And at one point they had Outlook 2007 on it. Then they upgraded to 10. And then they upgraded to 2016. You have trickles of old, old registry uh, issues from the old versions that are going to possibly cause a conflict. And that's what I'm seeing right now is Outlook 2016 and Exchange is having problems with any old versions of Outlook, period. Just period. And it's it's becoming a struggle on my end because I don't know the history of the computer and the clients. Many times they don't even know what they've had. They have no idea what software was on there. And we all know that in our world. It's not their fault. But, you know, if they say, you know, well, I had one time Outlook 2010 – it could have been 2007 before that, for all we know. And 2000, 2007 is the big snake. For some reason, whatever code is in there is causing this issue. And uh, that's that's becoming a big problem for me. There are plenty of blogs out there and videos on how to fix these multiple issues with 2016. Unfortunately, if Microsoft just would allow us to do a manual setup again, this would save a lot of us problems, but because they took away the manual option to set it up and now it has to be only done through one option, um, it takes <laughs> it could take hours and hours of troubleshooting this. And as a person who charges $139 an hour as it is, I'm kind of leery on telling somebody, well, this could take me two to four hours to fix, and that'll be four or $500. I mean... That's not my typical how I run my business, and I don't like troubleshooting software down to the point where they're almost to a new computer level. I, 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 I take pride in the fact that when you're with me for one or two hours, generally in Outlook, you're going to have your mess fixed. It's a mess that you let happen or got out of control. It's not the software. Uh, when you work with people's PST files and their OST and all that other stuff, and I'm reconfiguring things, it that's a big difference than me spending two to four hours trying to fix software that's not my problem. You know what I mean? And people gladly will pay me two or three hours if they've got years of uh, messes to clean up. They want that cleaned up. That's they They accept their fault. They're good with that. But for me to tell a client, okay, well, because... You know, we had so many glitches. That'll be $556, please. And, and just think of a bill like that. I, I just can't do it. I just can't do it. And I don't blame myself for not knowing the software. That's not it either. I know how to troubleshoot a lot of this. But there's reasons why there's so many blogs and videos out there, as, as I was saying earlier, about 2016. There's multiple, multiple problems with um, Outlook cannot log on, that's one error. Outlook cannot connect to the Exchange server, that's another problem. Uh, loading at profile. Uh, sometimes you can't even uh, add a new profile because there's so many things in the computer, like the old OST file might have the same name. Windows credentials is, is uh, connecting to uh, an older account. Uh, the registry needs to be updated and deleted. That's a big one. Or here's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> is is people upgraded wrong and they and they um they upgraded the wrong version or or the different bid or whatever. So in here's what I'm gonna do to fix this this week. If someone calls in, I'm gonna do my my interview process a little bit different. And with two of the users last week, I actually had to downgrade them. And if you have purchased any office, pro, uh, excuse me, any office programs with Microsoft, you know that you get the 2016 version now. I told two clients, you're telling Microsoft to downgrade because I'm sick and tired of troubleshooting this. And that's really what I pretty much told them to tell Microsoft. One lady said, yep, they did it with no problem. They know there's a problem out right now. I went on to Microsoft Tech Chat with I was logged in as a client and I said my uh technician has troubleshooted everything. I need to be downgraded to 2013 and that gal said no problem. They downgraded me in an instant. It was just like poof done. So I know how easy Microsoft is for allowing these downgrades. 
So I'm just going to tell everybody this is what I'm doing. And if you're out there and having the same problem, consider this. If you get a call for Outlook and they're on 2016 and you're having any problems, that, like I said, updates are causing this and, and just every, there's just so many reasons. You have to talk to Microsoft, get the option to downgrade. Once you see it in their install options, you have to uninstall the full, um, the full version. You might even want to run a registry cleaner after that. I am just thinking that might be good. Now, remember, I've only done a few this week. Um, but anyway, you might want to run a registry cleaner, then reboot, and then go do a fresh 2013 install, set up your accounts again. The profile should actually still be there because uh, the profiles generally you know, stay. But you, you will get a downgrade uh, in the control panel in the mail because 2016 has its own control panel. So if you ever have two versions, you'll see one that is normal. The other one says 2016, and that should work. That's kind of my answer this week, and I hate to bow down and say, eh, you know, I, I hate to give in, but honestly, after the week I had, I'm not going to – and I couldn't even build these clients, like I said, ethically. I couldn't build them for three or four hours, and I was about to pull my hair out when downgrading was a better option, and it worked. And it did not work for one fellow, but he had other problems. But um, anyway, the point is, is that there's plenty of other people having this issue. Downgrading is an option. If your client doesn't want it, then it's up to you to decide, well, okay, I can keep troubleshooting it, but now maybe you need to bill your full rate if they opt for that. I'm not going to do that anymore. My time is pretty valuable for me to stay on top of things, and I'm just finding that the downgrade is the answer for now. Uh, if Microsoft can fix their software to be a little bit more, you know, reliable, then great. Then uh, I won't do that. But I'm just getting to that point, you know. It's it's uh, need to downgrade and see if we'll connect because 2016 is too buggy so far. All right, gang. I think we are close here to getting Rob in. I'm gonna see if I got anything else in my notes. Uh, I don't think so. So we're going to take a quick break, and I'll be right back, and we'll have Rob on, and we'll talk about that migration. All right, folks, as I said earlier, this week I've got Rob Berger from uh, Soho Tech here from Ohio here. Welcome, Rob. Thank you. So as everybody knows, I've been talking about my attempts at growing uh, the, uh, the business here, and uh, Rob has been working with me on migrations for, what, about a year now? Yeah, so? something like that, I think. Yeah, and with Rob, we've had to do some fine-tuning of services and processes, and well, I tell you, Rob is a rock star in that stuff. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, it's like it's like awesome uh, to have somebody that's so detail-oriented with stuff. But uh, Rob and I have been talking about we need to, if I want to grow, I need to take it to the next level. So we've created a migration manager position to kind of get me out of the admin duties, and uh, with that, we created some processes, surveys, and done some prep work. And Rob, why don't you, uh, this is your first one. We just did 14 mailboxes. Why don't you go ahead and talk about that a little bit? Sure. Well, the, it was a fun client to work with, uh, but I think there were some really good lessons that we learned so that we can keep improving the process. It's all about improving the process and, and getting it better streamlined for ourselves and the customer as well. Um, I think we had some, some difficulties coordinating communication. With the client, uh, from the start, they had both a .com and a .net address, so there was a little bit of confusion, I think, in, in the communication about that, mm -hmm. but I think that we, we pulled through that uh, in, in a good fashion, and, and we, we have some comments about that later, about some things that, that I was able to do via PowerShell mm -hmm. to, to help them, uh, but I think overall, it was great. We, we uh, you know get, got everything set up on the admin side ahead of time. With uh, with creating the mailboxes and everything on the, the Office 365 portal, and then we divided up the work between the two of us. So we were able to accomplish the migration uh, just a couple of days ago, and and I think everyone's been happy with it so far. I think so too. Isn't that funny? The migration we did before that was a .net and a .com. Also, <laughs> I totally forgot about that. It's like we we did two in a row. Yeah. They were confusing. And it can be confusing when people are switching from the .NET to .com or vice versa and splitting the domains and the work. And But what I really liked was, well, first, I got to be honest with you, Rob, I was a little scared 
because I know you know what you're doing, but it was like taking away the baby, you know? And I was like, okay, he's going to do it. And everything was done right. And I did feel a sense of relief on that. But I can tell you that the first time you do give someone the reins is a little nerve wracking, but I do know that uh, I can trust you with that. And that was awesome. But on Friday, the migration day, actually, the most confusing part was the communication. So that's one thing I want to talk about with this show. And Rob and I did a good job of communicating to each other. It's we can't control the clients and the communications. And not that anything negative happened, but you just can never tell. People like Rob found that they were traveling, right? Or Yeah, I think that we found that some people were traveling. And, and even though we had sent out a notification uh, a few days beforehand that the migration was going to occur, they may not have read it or realized, oh, that's this Friday. And so, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to have access to my mailbox or I need to be in the same place that my computer is so that I can turn it on so that, you know, Rob or Lisa can get their remote software installed. So I think that one of the lessons is that maybe we need to build out a few extra days so that we can have some communication a few days earlier just so that they have a lot of lead time, Mm -hmm. so that they know, oh, yes, this is coming up at the end of the week, uh, instead of them kind of being surprised or forgetful or not letting us know or, or, you know, not having those, uh, you know, those synapses connect and say, oh, yeah, this is happening Friday, and this is what I need to do. Yeah. And a thing I think that I've found with all the years of doing tech support is that uh, no matter how simple you outline an email to people, there's some people that are going to not read it, then they're going to call you, and they want to run down. And, and I even say to them, did you read the email? No. <laughs> and, and, and this is a joke kind of within IT is that people aren't reading emails. And, and I even told Rob, make it very simple and bullet pointed. And he did. It's I not, did. It's not this migration. This is every migration. I, this is every migration I've ever done is people will maybe read the top sentence because they're, they're too busy and then they don't catch the rest. And the thing that we try to do is send out, here's how you set up your phone. Here's how you can do the online. Here's your password. And like I said, this is not this migration. It's everyone. People don't pay attention. I was thinking we should just make a YouTube of it and make it so that people have to watch it and pay attention. But there's nothing that's ever going to force a client to do anything. <laughs> nothing. No. Well, that's true. And actually, I, I had some uh, some client appointments earlier today. And on my drive home, uh, one of those users just gave me a call and she wanted to know, she said that her mail stopped syncing on her phone and on her, on her iPad. And I said, yes, they did. And I said, did you follow the links in the email? And she said, no, I did not. It's like, oh, really? No. So, so she clicked on the link and she said, oh, the directions are right here. And there's nice pictures too. Great. That's what I needed. Thank you. Isn't that funny? And you know what? I was talking to a client about this, about reading instructions. I think people only read email if they're going to make money. Then they read the whole email. You know, I just don't know how much more we can just detail things like that out. And there's very little we have to send to clients too, by the way. You know, just here's a few things to make it easier and... I don't know. So the, the communications on the Friday of the migration, uh, I booked myself out the whole day for it and spent most of the day. I wanted to be relaxed for one thing. I did not want to be pushed. So I scheduled myself out the whole day and I ended up doing eight of the migrations. And I think Rob did four and we, right. uh, one of the people canceled. Yeah. And some of the other ones were just odd ones. I did one on my computer, uh, the, you know, whatever. And that happens. There's always this special. I have to do one on Monday still, Rob, because mm-hmm. that person was totally gone. Well, that's fine. You know, we'll figure it out. But um, I did schedule myself out. I gave myself ample time so I wouldn't feel the stress because if you're dealing with 14 people, that's a big job. That's in one day for one person. And then you came on and did, you know, we did the actual migration. So I think it actually worked out pretty good. The surveys, the prep work, the actual migration. And then afterwards on Saturday, we had to do uh, the the forwarding from the .com to the .net. And that's where Rob's going to come in and talk about the PowerShell, which is kind of a term I've never had to even deal with or use. But I was excited when you know how to do it. Yeah, that was great. Well, do you want me to start at the beginning with the additional mailboxes as well? Sure. All right. Well, that was great. Was that... Um 
through some miscommunication with some client or, or maybe some whatever it was, uh, they needed an additional uh, about 60 mailboxes created. So as, as everyone probably knows, going through the portal.office.com interface, you can create users one at a time. However, as long as you are on, I think, Windows 8.1 or above, you can use PowerShell and you can use remote PowerShell. And I had sent you some links um, Lisa, maybe we can include, the, include those in the show notes. But from your own machine, you can connect remotely via PowerShell to the Office 365 uh, you know, realm. And you can do all of those creation and mailbox uh, you know, updates and creations and edits via PowerShell. So what I was able to do is take those 60 mailbox requests, and which I had in a, in a big Excel spreadsheet, and I had all of the email addresses for the creation and the name and a default password that the client wanted to use for them. And I was able to script out connecting to the Office 365 platform via PowerShell, and then all of the commands to create all of those mailboxes. So it took me, uh, I don't know, a few minutes to, to get the first command properly formatted with the syntax. Uh, and I did that and created the first mailbox, tested it on, on the second line as well for the second mailbox. Once that was verified, I was able to copy and paste my formula down for, <laughs> for all the 58 other ones and quickly create those other 58 mailboxes pretty much instantaneously. So that was a great help, which you know is magic for the client when you can do a command or some sort of task like that, which would have taken hours and hours and hours. I mean, you know, I think that if if you call five minutes per user to to go through that whole new mailbox procedure, oh, yeah. then that would have taken much much greater than five hours. So so doing it much faster is is definitely a savings to the client, and and they're definitely impressed with you. So once those mailboxes were created, the commands for assigning a license have been deprecated. So you can't do that via PowerShell. Mm. But you can multi-select users through the portal website, and then you can in bulk apply licenses. So that was great. We were able, I was able to, to apply those licenses to all those 60 users. Wow. The next thing is that because the client has not transitioned all of their users off of the, the .NET to the .com domain, they wanted to have forwarding occur. So again, using that remote PowerShell connection, I was able to create those automatic forwarding commands because I had that, that master table of what the, the new .com address is and who it should be forwarded to in the .NET domain. So I had all of those 60 lines, and I was able to perform that via PowerShell. Ran a few tests, checked it via the portal, everything came back good, and the client was very, very happy. Yeah, I was really happy, too, because I didn't have to spend all those hours doing the old manual way I would have thought. But, you know, that's why, Rob, people should think of you that are listening to the show as a good resource and to, that they can hire you to do that. Sure, absolutely. Because it's not every day that I would need PowerShell stuff. And I say stuff because I really don't even know what it is. It's like some phantom word to me because I don't do that kind of work. I'm manual. And just even the migration whiz was enough of a eek. I got to learn this and I liked it. But I don't know if I like commands. <laughs> uh, well, PowerShell's great. I mean, there, there's been a huge push by Microsoft for PowerShell yeah. um, for, for, you know, five years or so now. And it's a great scripting way to accomplish everything from the graphical user interface. And there are actually some commands within Active Directory and Exchange that you can only do via PowerShell. Yeah, I've heard that. But if you're going to do a, com uh, a repetitive command more than five times or more than, say, five mailboxes or create more than five distribution groups, which actually we, we did, I did as well, then PowerShell is a great way to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and if anybody needs help, obviously you can reach out to me uh, oh, yeah. or I encourage you to learn it on your own because it's definitely a great way to, to bring efficiency and consistency to, to completing those repetitive tasks. Maybe you should do PowerShell training. <laughs> Honestly, well, maybe, you know what? Maybe. Here's the thing is if I would have if I would have needed to know how to do this and let's say you weren't there, you know, knowing 
what I know now. Uh, where's the PowerShellExpert.com? Well, I'll have to check and see that's if that name is registered. That's right. Do it before the show is published. But, you know, the point is, is that there are techs that need help like this. And when you said, wow, I could just PowerShell this, and I went, are you kidding me? And all I know about PowerShell is that it's powerful. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not into the commanding scripts and all that. So to me, it was a, it was a good win. And the job was done a lot more fat. You know, not that there was a time crunch on it. It just got done more efficiently. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I said, Rob does a great job at those little fine tunings and all the extra stuff. So if anybody does want to hire Rob for uh, help, I, I'm, I am letting you know. You can definitely contact him. Won't hurt my feelings as long as he doesn't get too busy. Sure, I'm available <laughs> if anybody needs anything. That's right. Well, I'm trying to think of other things that we did in this uh, with our processes that made it go a little smoother. Um. I think during the migration, uh, Rob and I did text a little bit because my outlook was actually kidnapped with migration work and that can get challenging. Rob does use his own software and I have my own software, so we don't uh, share the same company anymore. So that's kind of a nice thing. If I lose connection, his might be able to work. Have we ever had that happen yet? I don't think so. Uh, Also, what was nice is that we were both able to be in the same user at the same time because you wanted to to remind me about the caching oh yeah because by, cause by default uh you know office 2013 and 2016 do what is it 12 months oh yeah uh, for caching mm-hmm. which i had known about uh but you wanted to just remind me just in case and and it was but it was a great way that we could both be remotely connected into the client machine simultaneously even oh, yeah. though we're in very different places. So, you know, you brought that up and I said, oh, yeah, the caching. I know. That's part of my checklist. So yeah. we, we were both doing that anyway, but it was a great way for both of us to, to synchronize and make sure we were in the same place. Yeah, I just thought about that because when you set up Exchange and Outlook for the first time in 2013 and 16, it only brings back 12 months. And that's when after it's all done synchronizing, people are like, where's all my stuff from before that? And that's just one of those pre-checklist uh, after the after migration things that we do to fine tune this, so I don't want the callbacks. I mean, the less callbacks I have, the better experience the client has, in my opinion. You know, if I get in the things I try to learn too from each of these callbacks, could we change the process then so that person doesn't have that again? Sometimes it's a, a what I would call a global thing, and sometimes it's just one off with one person, so you can't change a whole process. For, because one person likes their view one way. that That's silly. I think with this migration too, Rob, we also could not create new profiles. And the reason is, is that the company had multiple email accounts going on. So it's difficult to make a new profile if the other information is not available. Correct. Yep. Yeah. If they have other email addresses in there, uh, I mean, some people had Yahoo addresses, some people had other random domains in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I only had one user who who had that. Everybody else was just uh, just the .com address by themselves, so that was nice. Yeah, and I got lucky. I had all the .com. And then let's talk about, now this is not for sure, but this is what I'm thinking, is the clients upgraded to Office 365 Business. And they had uh, previous other licenses going on, but they wanted to be all on the same. So what I did was in uh, Outlook, in the file, and go down to, uh, what is it called, account uh, options, account Mm -hmm. settings. What we did was we logged out the user and then logged them in with their new Office 365 business account. This worked on everybody, but the one client I was worried about was that they had a OneDrive connected that had like mm, half a terabyte of stuff. So I really wasn't interested in messing with that. So I put that as a follow-up for later. Because if you log out of one, it could mess everything up if they got like a deep OneDrive connected, but nobody else did that I recognized. I don't think you saw it either. But that's a nice way to swatch to swap the licenses out without reinstalling everything. 
if yeah. it's the same. Well, that's a great way to to bring about because several of the you know a couple of points with that. That's a great way to ensure everybody is using the the business premium or, or you know whatever their the Office three sixty five license is mm-hmm. with the business account to make sure they have all of the correct products instead of the you know if they happen to have something before and they logged in with their AOL address or their Yahoo address or mm-hmm. Gmail address. But also that's a great way to ensure with the the business um, license that they're going to get the upgrades because maybe they sure. had a they had a standalone purchase of 2013 and it was the one time install and maybe they mm-hmm. registered it with their personal email address well then they're never going to get the update yeah I'm not saying that shortcut is uh, good for everybody in fact I only did it on the people that I know uh, actually weren't logged in or you know had the exact version but that was a nice shortcut I am going to be tracking that though. Because to me, when when the clients, when they say, I want the full, you know, Office 365, and again, as a break-fix technician, we don't know what versions they have from what, enough to, to do it. With the software, you actually have to uninstall and clean up the registry if you need to, reboot, reinstall it, and hope it works. <laughs> and that's one thing I was like, not during this migration, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to wait till afterwards, and so I'm going to test that sign-on to make sure that works, and I'll update you guys on another show. Well, you also have the the, the possibility of destroying those other mail profiles mm. if they have other yeah. accounts. That's true. I, I don't see those go away too much, but 2016 and 13 have their own profile, uh, and it does it will delete them. I've seen that before. It doesn't always work, so. Hi, Rob. What else do we want to talk about about this migration or any other migrations? I think it was just a great opportunity for us to to start fine tuning the process so it's getting you know better for the clients as well as the ability to leverage PowerShell was was really the mm-hmm. the big time saver and the consistency because especially if you're going to uh, and this is kind of you and in the whole community in the plural sense of do a repetitive task of creating mailboxes or, or doing something like that where you're dividing it up amongst the several yeah. people. One person may do it differently than the other person. So one of the, the benefits of PowerShell is that you're ensuring that everybody's name is formatted the same way. You're ensuring that everybody's in the correct time zone. You're ensuring that everybody's alias is whatever the format you want it to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you're ensuring that everybody is, is hidden or is viewable in the global address list. You're ensuring that distribution groups are created the same way. Uh, you know, all of those different little nitty-gritty attributes, you can ensure consistency uh, amongst all of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll tell you that that closed this migration with me saying, I'm ready to hire a migration tech <laughs> to do my end. Well, that's fine. That's- I mean, I'm, you know, we've talked about it and, uh, you know, I, I love working with the process and, and, yeah. and taking over that manager role. So, uh, you know, oh, we've talked about bringing on someone else. I'm ready. I think I got some people coming, but the whole point is, is that uh, to let the listeners know is that this... Office 365 is only going to get bigger and better, you know, and you got to learn the basics about doing this work before you can offer it and sell it. And that, I do have a book out there. Um, you can check it out at callthatgirl.biz slash publications, and you could buy it solo. I think it's 15 or 19 bucks. Rob, you bought the book back before you- I did. That was before my first migration, uh, yeah. and, and it was very useful. I mean, that, between that and, and everything that we've been doing together over the past year or so, mm-hmm. I think there's a there's a really good process for for handling users. Mm-hmm. And there's always you know a myriad of different user configurations, whether they're POP, they're IMAP, they're Exchange on prem, they're you know synchronizing multiple accounts and different profiles, and you know everyone does it every different which way oh but the the thing is i've already okay someone asked me is there an upgrade and i said well i think i published that ebook about a year and a half ago then i had to update it because the data was already outdated and now i don't want to make a third one because honestly the, the basics are there and you have to adapt to the changes microsoft changes stuff all the time and unfortunately, I cannot keep a live book going. I, you know, I can barely keep up myself. I log into the control panel. I'm like, where's the software? <laughs> oh, they moved it again. You know, how many times have you seen that? 
Yeah, several. I when I I went to uh, the Microsoft Ignite conference last year in Chicago, and they and they actually handed out I don't know it was like a 500 page book, the uh, the admin guide to Office 365, and I got an email from I don't know if it was one of the authors or or the conference itself, like a week later saying they've already updated it and it's they're only doing yeah. it online now. So you know Microsoft themselves recognize the the continuing. Uh, you know, updating an evolution of their documentation. So, oh, yeah. you know, pretty much as soon as it's in print, it's obsolete. Well, that's why even my blogs out there, I've done uh, one blog. I started noticing it getting traction. And, and now I'm trying to be good for people who, the Googlers, you know. This is for end users and other techs. When they start Googling and they see something, they're going to go try it. They don't call you first. You know, they're just going to try it. And if I fail, then I feel bad because I'm actually giving out bad advice. So I have done two or three updates on some of my blogs. And you cannot keep up enough, Rob. You just can't. And sometimes it's trial and error. And the beginning of the show today, I talk about all the problems I had even before I worked with you on Friday. It was nuts. Mm -hmm. And I just can't keep up. And I'm almost like so frustrated to the point that I'm like, I just like doing what I do. The configuring and the fixing. I don't like the repairing, you know. And that to me is it's Microsoft's making it more challenging. I, well, there's, I, gonna be, there's gonna be a whole host of new issues with. Well, maybe I shouldn't use the word host. That's pretty funny. What? Uh, there's gonna be a whole handful of you know new issues that people are discovering with the the 2016 Office platform. Yeah. Well, the biggest one is you can't manually set up. I talked about that earlier, and that really is bothersome because the manual setup was my backup in case auto discover didn't work or some other horky thing happened mm -hmm. and, and the horky things are you know it's just so many and i, I just feel like i'm failing <laughs> I, you can't fail if you keep going but I, that's what i'm feeling yeah well that all goes back to the the importance of the dns records and auto discover and you know if those aren't present and you haven't taken care of those at the beginning of the migration True. then you're not going to be able to set up the clients. Nope. And that's why uh, that's in the book. You have to do that for every everything. And um, you know what? I've had some challenges uh, with the DNS. And, and the good thing is, is uh, you can, if you're using AppRiver, you can call them and they will help guide you or help you figure it out. But uh, they're not the answer, you know, sometimes because sometimes they, what I, I love saying, the chase the DNS is figure out. But yours wasn't challenging this time. Doesn't sound like it. No, they had the only issue was that the client had many, many, many domains. They had I don't know sixty, seventy, eighty domains. Yeah. So and they're and they're all very close together. So it was making sure that I picked the right one out of the yeah. list to to do the DNS records. Oh yeah, when and especially since I was never a DNS person before any of this. Let me tell you, the first times I went into people's DNS, I was kind of scared. Like, oh my God, do I have all the controls right now? Yes, you do. And and let me tell you that I think the excitement of the DNS when the when the cutover of the MX started, that's when I got so like nervous. It was oh my God, is it gonna work? And then you wait and anticipate for it to start taking. And that to me was the high of the migration almost. You know, I do, I get that too. When I made well, first of all, I always document what the settings were before. Me too. Before I made the changes, <laughs> so just in case I need to roll them back. But there's something about Making the change and then going back to the the admin portal, and and clicking on that DNS button to say I've made the changes. Check again, and it to go from that red X to yeah. to the green arrow saying yes. It's like oh, that's awesome. It is kind of a weird high because you do all this prep work, and then all of a sudden I was I do all the prep. We're all good to go. The cut over, and you see the mail delivering, and I just feel this relief. Like okay, good. And now let's see what other problems we're gonna have. But it, it to me, letting you do all that was kind of like, all right, go for it. I just <laughs> am not doing it anymore. And, you know, it was my first one. And I did 70, well, I think I did 50-some migrations last year. So all those were on me. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, since we started, I've done, I don't know, a dozen, at, le at least a dozen or so. So yeah. I was very comfortable with doing all the DNS, but it's funny to hear, you know, 
you were nervous about letting it go. Oh yeah, I was, and there was other things too. But I, you have to trust, trust the process, trust it's going to happen. And remember, there's a few times where I was just feeling some stress, and I'm like, I'm not going to feel the stress <laughs> because I've done actually 12 mailboxes once by myself, and that was a pretty scary thing. <laughs> that was the that was scary. It was a year a year plus ago. I'll never do that again. Yeah. Um, and, no. and you never and also part of the whole discovery process which which we're getting better at and and getting it more streamlined and efficient is figuring out how much mail all the individual uh, users have because yeah. if they have very small mailboxes obviously the whole project will go faster mm-hmm. uh, or if they have very high speed connections and if they have poor connections or monstrous mailboxes then obviously that has an impact as well. Oh, but what also has the impact is after the migration is done, the 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 person who has a hundred k of mail in their mailbox, you might actually spend two hours with them fixing other things. Yep. That's that's why I've learned is you can't judge the mailbox by <laughs> the 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 what's going to happen. A lot of times I was like, oh, this is going to be easy, and then the, the, I have to do all these settings and changes, and and you know, back in the day, I want iCloud set up and. You know, you have to deal with all these things, and sometimes the communications is part of the fee. You know, yeah, yeah that's that's one thing. On Friday, I learned was just managing all these people on a weekend. On a Friday, they weren't going to be around. They took their laptops, and I was like, "Ooh, all right, well, we'll figure it out. Now we'll get it done." Well, I think we have a great uh, a great partnering. I'm on Eastern Time. You're uh, you're Pacific, so we have. No, I love you it. Know, we can we can cover everybody across the country. For once, I was actually done with work at six, and no migrations ever are done before nine or ten for me. So because of that, I was like, "Yay!" <laughs> I know that does work in our favor. That was nice. Yeah. All right, Rob. You got anything else you want to add to the show this week? No, I think that's it. Um, I yeah. was just I had a great time. I I, I really had. Uh, an enjoyable time doing the PowerShell. That was a great way to to value add for for the client. Um, you got your nerd on. Oh, it was good. <laughs> Whenever I can do, you know, you know, copy and paste some all the formulas in Excel, and then copy and paste all that monstrous text into oh, PowerShell, yeah. and just execute it and see it all going, and knowing it's all working, and you know, knowing that it would have taken us, you know, five, seven, ten hours manually, and we're able to do it in, yeah. you know, a ten percent of that time. Uh, You know, that's great. I get a kick out of that. That's a good thing to add in is that Rob is also uh, an Outlook or sorry, an Excel specialist slash expert. Um, I always try to say the word expert lately, but when you're marketing, if you know more than the other guy, you're an expert, right? That's right. That's right. (laughs) I don't know it. So you're the expert in my opinion. But that's what that's what that's good. The knowledge that he had helped make that happen. And I was happy. And then it was so cute. Your email was like. Was it boom done? Yep. <laughs> I was like, yeah, he was happy. It, it is nice when your work, no matter what it is, it, it happens and and uh, you see it work. I like that. I do. All right, man. Well, if there's nothing else, we think we're going to close the show up. I do want to apologize for a couple things. Um, one is my microphone uh, keeps banging, and I'm really sorry about that. And I'm sure it's annoying. I'm going to fix that for the next show. And this week, Rob, I was telling people it was kind of a messed up show or because this week was so crazy. I took 25 calls on Monday. Wednesday had the updates crash. I had to deal with that. And then Friday was the migration. And so this was not a typical week for me. (laughs) But I'm hoping next week will be better and I can manage everything much, much better. And let's hope there's no bad Windows updates. Did you see any calls? Uh, I've not, but, uh, you know, this is, first, this is the first week after Patch Tuesday, so we'll see what happens. Well, Patch Tuesday was last week, right? Right. So I, so here's the thing is that I put it out there on the forums. Look, I got five calls. Now, here's what I was noticing is that a lot of people don't, aren't responding to my thread I put out, and I'm wondering it's because if they do a lot of managed work and they're managing that update, see, where my people aren't on managed. See what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you know the typical players that you know participate. I'm like if they're if they're not in that thread, it's not happening to them. 
So, so I kind of felt like a loner here. <laughs> well, maybe they're waiting for a week. I know, and I'm like, then I looked it up, and it was Patch Tuesday, because what do I care? I never pay attention to that. I guess now I will be. I, I did catch that, and uh, uh, it's frustrating. I just felt so alone. <laughs> it bothered me. <laughs> All right, gang, well, let's close the show up here. If you want to talk to Rob, Rob, give us your information. Sure. Uh, the website is SohoTechColumbus.com. Uh, you can email me there. There's also a contact form, uh, and my cell phone number is 614-323-4085. Yep. Call him if you need him. He's great. And then I want to thank uh, Mitch Heyman, my, uh, excuse me, my audio production. Let me see here. I'm sorry about my notes. I'm off here a bit. Okay. If you want to contact me, I'm Lisa at callthatgirl.biz. You can check out my show at off, excuse me, callthatgirl.biz slash office365, callthatgirl at podbean.com. And if you have a story to share or you want to be a guest on the show, make sure you email or call me. You can call me at 612-865-4475. Reminder, my ebooks are at callthatgirl.biz slash publications. And I think that's a wrap. This has been a Heyman Hendrickson production. Audio supported by Mitch Heyman. Thanks to our sponsor, App River and Podbean for hosting. That's it, folks. See you next time.